0: Daily News and Analysis. We keep you informed and
1: inspired.
2: This is World Today.
1: Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition of the show, we discuss U.S.-China relations after Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi's Washington trip. Wang Yi visited Washington recently in an effort aiming to save a bilateral relationship seemingly in a downward spiral. In the U.S. Capitol, Wang met with U.S. President Joe Biden, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, and White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. After the trip, both sides said they agreed to work together toward a meeting between the two heads of state in San Francisco during this year's APEC meetings in November. So how should we see these recent developments in the bilateral relationship between the U.S. and China? What expectations should we hold about this relationship moving forward? For these questions and more, I'm joined by Victor Gao, Chair Professor at Suchou University, Bo Kong, Associate Professor and Co-Director of the OU Institute for U.S.-China Issues, University of Oklahoma, also Dr. Clifford Kirikoff, Washington-based author and former senior professional staff member of the U.S. Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. Thank you all, and a big big welcome to the show today. Um, Now, let's uh, get down into it. Um, From the G20 Leaders Summit in Bali, Indonesia in November 2022, to the balloon incident in January this year, to the visit by Wang Yi to Washington, um, you know, at the end of last month. I mean, how should we evaluate the current bilateral relations between the two countries in general? Uh, Maybe let me start with Dr. Kirikov, please.
3: Well, um... (laughs) Thank you for inviting me to the show. I would say that uh, Wang Yi's visit to Washington is a positive uh, signal, a positive mm. step uh, from the Chinese side. Uh, however, if you ask me to evaluate the bilateral relations at the moment, uh, I would say they're more or less at rock bottom. has mm. uh, not been much change since um, Trump and then the last three years of Biden. So I'm hopeful that... Uh, the Chinese side, can persuade the U.S. side to uh, normalize.
1: Mm. Well, Professor Kong, what's your take?
3: Well,
2: uh, thank you for having me. Um, first of all, I think it's um, um, in comparison with where we were mm. under Trump and where we were in the earlier days of the Biden administration, uh, it's fair to say that uh, Wang Yi's visit to Washington D.C. is part of the the, the uh, series of meetings that have um, um, constituted this uh, warming trend in U.S.-China relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, if you just think about the signals both con- both governments send toward each other, uh, after all. Uh, when uh, President Obama was around and President George W. Bush was around, mm-hmm. there were over a hundred uh, dialogue channels, where uh, through which both governments can talk about important issues.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, those channels basically were pretty much dead uh, during the Trump administration. I think these visits, uh, Wang Yi's visit together visit, together with the visit by U.S. officials to China are part of the attempt on both governments to learn to talk to each other mm. after uh, cutting off and severing those dialogues. Uh, this, so from that perspective, I think it's it's a very positive trend. Uh, however, having said that, I agree to the previous speaker that the fundamentals uh, haven't really changed that much mm. because uh, both sides are still deeply distrustful of each other. Uh, there are still a lot of... Uh, on the currents that make uh, the improvement very difficult. So in that sense, I think a, a lot of work still remains to be done. I, mm. uh, I guess we'll have a chance to talk a little bit more about uh, uh, the fundamentals in a second. Mm,
1: indeed. Now, um, Professor Gao, what do you think? Do you think the current U.S.-China relations is still at this rock bottom?
4: Thank you very much for having me. Uh, First of all, I think Mr. Wang Yi's visit to Washington, D.C. and his meeting with President Biden and other U.S. leaders uh, were very important. Mm. Uh, It's positive. It's constructive. Whether they could reverse the negative trend in China-U.S. relations uh, is doubtful. And uh, whether that trip contributed to paving the way for the summit meeting between President Biden of the United States and Chinese President Xi Jinping on the sideline of G20 in San Francisco. Yes,
1: mm. I think APEC, it did Professor. a lot.
4: Yeah, APEC, mm. uh, APEC uh, summit meeting in San Francisco. Yes, I think it did uh, uh, go a big mile in that direction. However, allow me to emphasize one point. Mm. I don't think China and the United States should just be complacent about having a summit meeting on the sideline of the APEC meeting in San Francisco. I truly believe that we should do our best to prevent President Biden from becoming the first president in the United States since President Reagan Mm. of not visiting China as U.S. president.
0: Mm. Now,
4: that means we need to create conditions not only for the Uh, summit meeting on the sideline of the APEC in San Francisco in November, which should happen very soon, Mm. but really do our best to create conditions for inviting President Biden of the United States to visit Beijing in his official capacity as the U.S. president and on a reciprocal basis to enable the Chinese President Xi Jinping to make his official state visit to Washington, D.C. now. Many of you may think this is too far-fetched and Mm -hmm. this is not realistic, but you never know. Mm -hmm. I think for the two largest economies in the world, for China and the United States, the two most important political power and military powers in the world, we should really aim high. We should make sure that the presidents of these two countries should be able to exchange state visits to each other Mm. Because I believe that's the only thing befitting the status of China and the United States. Now, having said that, Mm. I acknowledge the difficulties and the challenges in China-U.S. relations. But allow me to emphasize one point. I have proposed one theory, if I may. Mm. It's called inevitability of peace between China and the United States. Why? Because for China and the United States, they are not destined for war they face this inevitability of peace because neither will be able to overcome the other side by military means or by a war without consequences. And the war will trigger the consequences of Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Therefore, sooner or later, Washington and Beijing will come to terms with the fact that they need to live with each other and they need to live and let live. And that's the impossibility, That's the inevitability of as I would say, and that also means whatever differences and difficulties there are between China and the United States need to be handled Mm. and solved amicably by peaceful means rather than by military means. Mm. That gives me hope, and that gives me the confidence and the optimism that President Biden needs to make a state visit to China, Mm. and the Chinese President Xi Jinping will reciprocate by making a state visit to Washington.
1: Well... Um, Inevitability of peace um, between the US and China, that is indeed a very interesting theory. We may touch upon that later during the show, but uh, let me go back to Professor Kong for a bit, uh, because after the visit to Wang Yi to Washington, uh, there will be, there have been, and will continue to be follow-up dialogues between the two sides in various fronts, including arms control, maritime issues, nuclear non-proliferation, climate talks, etc. So Professor Kong, you earlier said There were, um, you know, a lot of uh, communication channels between the two national governments uh, previously before the relationship went really bad. Uh, Do you think these current uh, current dialogues will serve as a foundation, um, you know, for those channels that you talked about to be reopened?
2: Um, yes I think the um, they are part of the the, um, the efforts mm. to uh, um, start to talk to each other on the part of both governments and build more channels and, and dialogues but we probably will not go back to where we were uh, because uh, mm. um, both domestic politics and and um, um, foreign policy priorities for, for the two countries uh, have changed um, over the past couple of years. Uh, and nevertheless, I think it's important for the two countries to manage their, their competition. Uh, you can compete uh, and but at the same time uh, talk to each other mm-hmm. about how to solve global problems, uh, many of which cannot be solved without the uh, participation of either. Mm-hmm. After all, these these are the two largest economies and stakeholders uh, mm-hmm. of uh, of the world today. Um, so these issues are very important for both countries, and they are part of and they are more sort of prone to the creation of so called uh, the concentric circles mm-hmm. uh, concentric circles in in um, in uh, if you look at China's interests and U.S. interests, for example. Um, so in that sense, I think uh, you know um, they they send, as I said a moment ago, they send the right signals that both governments are looking for ways to talk and and solve global global problems. Mm. Um, but as I said, you know at the same time we should be aware that uh, the the fundamental uh, competitive impulses are so strong that may make. Uh, make it a very difficult to achieve uh, a substantive cooperation right um, and there I think we have to be cautious but mm-hmm. it shouldn't stop us from trying because even during the Cold War mm-hmm. the United States and and the Soviet Union uh, collaborated in different domains and and worked t- together mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to uh, you know manage uh, and mitigate the risks of their their cooperation so I think in that in that sense, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see the two governments uh, have formed different uh, dialogues, social, mm. you know, for example, climate dialogues and economic and financial dialogues to talk about uh, frictions and, and issues of, of mutual concern.
1: Right. Well, certainly, you know, keep talking to each other is the hope. Um, you're listening to World Today on CDTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. We're going to a short break, but we'll be right back. From cotton fields to a garden of tulips, join Dutch tulip grower Nikolaus Gaik for a chat about his experience of helping to transform a small village in East China into the country's first sea of tulips on this week's Chat Lounge, wherever you get your podcasts and on CGTN Radio. Welcome back to World Today. In this edition of the show, we discuss U.S.-China relations after Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi's Washington trip. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Now, continue with our discussion, Um, still about, you know, uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi's trip to Washington. Uh, Dr. Kirikov, let me go to you. What talks or events do you think have laid the foundation for Wang Yi finally being able to make this trip? Because the two sides were literally... We're, we're hardly talking to each other after the balloon incident earlier this year.
3: I think, uh, as I said earlier, Wang's uh, trip is uh, very good news and a very positive uh, mm. step. Um, it resulted from, uh, obviously, some diplomacy, open diplomacy visits, uh, including uh, Ms. Yellen and other uh, high-ranking officials to China, etc., uh, that prepared the way, and probably quite a bit of back-channel, uh, preparation that we <laughs> we don't know about because it's uh, back channel diplomacy. Uh, in any event, I think it's very important, and uh, and I'm hopeful. Uh, but uh, it remains to be seen uh, what the talks will uh, accomplish. Actually,
1: mm. well, let let's see. You know, the 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 accomplishments or the achievements by this trip in details. According to a readout by China's foreign ministry during the meeting with Anthony Blinken, Wang Yi stressed, to stabilize and improve U.S.-China relations, the two sides should have objective understandings of each other's strategic intentions, correctly view the competitive factor in the exchanges between U.S. and United States, and define the concept uh, of national security. Now, uh, Professor Gao, how do you think? Really, are the two sides are you know viewing each other's strategic intentions these days? Well, mm.
4: I think the United States increasingly views China as a rival, as a competitor, or as an antagonist, or even as an enemy.
0: Mm.
4: Now, I think uh, they arrive at their conclusions uh, uh, by doing uh, something which I completely disagree. They worry about two things. Mm. on the one hand, they worry that the Chinese economy will sooner or later surpass that of the United States. Secondly, they worry that once China has a bigger economy than the United States, China will play rough against the United States and will try to impose its political system, ideology, ways of doing things, values onto the United States and even uh, push U.S. down to a second tier power. Mm. Now, From the Chinese perspective, this is completely berserk. Why? Because either in the past when China was weaker or today when China is stronger or in the future when China will be larger than the United States as an economy, China will never impose its political system or values onto any other country, big or small, including the United States. China wants to treat all countries, about 200 of them in the world, Hmm. as an equal. Therefore, China does not want to replace the United States as the next superpower or as the next top dog in the world. China just wants to get along with the United States and live and let live as Mm -hmm. far as the United States is concerned. So you're talking about two completely different strategic descriptions or propositions, Mm -hmm. and uh, neither has convinced the other. And China need to do a better job of selling its real uh, vision of the world Mm. to the United States, and the United States need to mellow down and uh, come to the conclusion, as I have been advocating, that war is not and should not be an option between China and the United States, and the inevitability of peace should prevail, and whatever problems there are between China and the United States need to be solved amicably. Mm. That means, There will be a period of time when relations will be in deep freeze or even deteriorate. But I'm confident that once China really becomes a larger economy than the United States, probably around 2030, and the United States wakes up and looks out of the window and see how the sun still rises up in the east, Mm. the world is not turned upside down. China is not playing rough against the United States. China still deals with the United States on equal terms as a partner, for example, and firmly promoting this live and live, live principle. That's my vision of the future.
0: Right. And
4: eventually, I hope Washington will also come to the terms with the fact that China is a larger economy that they need to live with, but China and the United States should not get at each other's jugular or even kill each other because That's a mission impossible to start with, and also that's a mission with dire consequences, both for China, for the United States and Mm. for mankind as a whole.
1: Right. Now, Professor Kong, how do you respond to what Professor Gao has just said? And how do you think the you how do you think the Chinese idea is getting across to America?
2: Well, uh, I, I think it's actually very hard to have objective understanding mm. uh, of each other's strategic intentions. Because our understanding is always conditioned by our uh, values, of our uh, different histories, our culture, um, and even our geographies. So in that sense, our understanding of uh, strategic intentions is always object- is subjective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going back to um, what my colleague said a moment ago, uh, I think fundamentally uh, the United States is worried that China uh, might uh, elbow the United States out mm-hmm. um, fr- uh, from East Asia as its uh, presence and power and influence, uh, you know, grow in that region, mm-hmm. and it may it may just take Taiwan back through. Uh, military means and then globally uh, the United States is worried that China might be promoting a different uh a, a world order different from uh, the uh, the one the United States helped to put in place and of course China has some fundamental uh, uh dis, you know distrust of the United States particularly with respect to its uh, its intentions toward China um there is growing uh, worry that uh, particularly under the Trump administration, the United States, for the first time, uh, seeks to uh, really um, uh, change uh, the political system in China. On under Mao, and and going back to uh, Nixon's visit to China and all the way uh, during the reform and opening up, op- opening up in a reform era, I think both governments, both China and the United States, sort of reached a, a tacit understanding mm-hmm. that they were not Terribly, they will not seek to. I mean, at least from the Chinese perspective, the United States will not seek to change the the political system in China. Instead, the two will uh, primarily focus on uh, a foreign policy issues, do, a foreign policy domain. But mm-hmm. under Trump, of course, uh, that that you know that perception has changed in China. Although President Uh, Biden has made it very clear that uh, the United States does not seek to change China's political system. Uh, As I said, you know, uh, Mm. there is still that 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 belief in China. Um, And then uh, China, of course, Taiwan is the is the fundamental uh, obstacle to the bilateral relations. Mm. And there is this growing worry that the U.S. is changing its policy toward Taiwan Mm. and its policy toward the South China Sea is increasingly like its policy toward Taiwan. Uh, in other way in other words, the Taiwan issue you know, US policy toward Taiwan is internationalized and US policy toward South China Sea is internationalized. Mm-hmm. And both issues are thought to be core the, the, the core interests of China. Mm-hmm. As a result of these differences, of course, you know, uh, I think, uh, look, these differences make it very, very, di- very difficult or limit to the, the, uh, the, the possibility of cooperation between the two governments. Because they really uh, permeate across uh, every hallways of the bilateral government, you know, different government agencies and affect the dialogues uh, between the two governments uh mm. as a result, now we are talking about how to uh, compete without catastrophe because mm. you know uh, on issues about Taiwan on the South China Sea, we could if not managed careful, if we do not put in place uh, communication channels, do not put in place the rules of the game, we could get into uh, a conflict and and misperceptions and miscalculations could lead to conflict, right? That's Mm -hmm. why we need to have those dialogues back in place. That's why we need to start to talk to each other and learn to manage our competition.
1: Right. Now we have two two more minutes before we go to a break. But uh, Dr. Kirikov, do you have more to add uh, about you know how the U.S. understands China's intentions and you know what kind of misconceptions are are there? Dr- well,
3: the Washington mm. establishment, uh, White House, and Congress, as well as the media, see China through Cold War eyes. So unless and until um the United States or Washington changes the way it perceives the world um and uh, eliminates this um cold war psychology and perception uh we're going to we're going to have some rough sailing um and I don't see that changing any time soon um and the uh, the
0: mm. Proof. <laughs> mm.
3: I mean, we can demonstrate. The United States, has Biden, has Biden dropped the economic war? No. Mm. Has Biden stopped the technological war? No.
0: Mm. He's actually
3: increased both. So the direction in terms of our economic warfare policy uh, against China is uh, sharpening. And our deployments, uh, military deployments uh, in the Asia-Pacific are increasing and sharpening many provocations. And the Taiwan issue is only going to be solved in China. Uh, Taiwan being part of China, like Hawaii is part of the United States, is only going to be solved in China. It is not going to be solved in Washington because the Taiwan lobby owns Congress. The Taiwan lobby owns the executive branch. Mm. And it's not going to change. That will not change. So the only change on Taiwan that can happen is a political change Right. on Taiwan and within within China.
1: Mm. Well, you're listening to World Today on CDTN Radio. We're going to a short break, but after we come back, we'll continue our discussion on U.S.-China relations.
2: Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Wren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China-area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology, and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China, and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today.
1: Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition of the show, we discuss U.S.-China relations after Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi's Washington trip. We have with us Victor Gao, Chair Professor at Suchou University. Bo Kong, Associate Professor and Co-Director of the OU Institute for U.S.-China Issues, University of Oklahoma. Also, Dr. Clifford Kirikoff, Washington-based author and former senior professional staff member of the U.S. Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. Continue with our discussion, Foreign Minister Wang Yi also mentioned during his talk with Anthony Blinken that uh, the two sides should correctly view the competitive factors in the exchanges between China and the United States. Well, uh, since uh, Anthony Blinken became uh, U.S. Secretary of State, he came up with the idea um, with or with the proposition that the two sides uh, should uh, compete where they should, uh, where they should and cooperate where they can. But that hasn't received much response, we can see from the Chinese side. Um, now, Professor Gao, how do you understand you know, this, uh, this notion by Anthony Blinken? How do, you, how do you understand China's attitude?
4: First of all, mm-hmm. I think Secretary of State Blinken's view about China-U.S. relations mm-hmm. are fundamentally flawed. Let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. He characterizes China U.S relations as confrontational, as uh, uh, competitive, and uh, he also emphasized that to the extent possible, there is area for cooperation. However, cooperation, as Lincoln defined, is not real cooperation, it's not for mutual benefit, it is, for example, aimed at holding China down and disrupting the uh, demand and supply, for example, and also denying China's access to the advanced uh, chips from the United States. Now, these are not cooperation. These are Cold War mentality. These are politicizing trade and try to raise obstacles to China-U.S. relations. Now, his view is that China should not continue to rise economically, China should should not be on the par with the United States as an economic power, and the United States should always dominate in terms of technology or otherwise, and China should always be a second-tier country. Now, this is not reflective of the megatrend in the world of today. Mm. China is already larger as a manufacturing producer than the combined production from the United States, Germany, and Japan combined. China produces 28 million cars compared with 17 million cars compared produced by the United States. And China's production of iron and steel, shipbuilding, for example, you name it, we have a list. China's production for more than 200 large items are not only larger than that of the United States, and in many cases, they account for 50% or more of the global production. So, from for Secretary of State Blinken, try to see China as someone the United States can stay on top of mm. is not realistic. I think China and the United States need to respect each other,
0: mm. need to
4: get along with each other, need to live and let live, and they should not put political obstacles to the economic development of either China or the United States. Mm. Both China and the United States should be champions of free trade and market economy, rather than, for example, disrupting market economy, disrupting free trade, and try to use political tricks to gain economic advantage over the other side. Mm. China will never do such dirty tricks against the United States. I hope the United States will give up doing such political schemes and dirty tricks against China.
1: Well, Professor Kong, how do you respond to that? And um in your opinion, what should be, you know, a healthy attitude towards uh, these competitive factors in U.S.-China relations?
2: Well, un- unfortunately, um, the, uh, the fundamental reality is that uh, mm. um, structurally we are in a competitive sort of a period of time in terms of the bilateral relations, mm-hmm. because the United States is the dominant power. Uh, Well, China is the rising power. There's concern on the part of the dominant power that uh, the rising power might um, um, uh, Elbow the United States out of these uh, areas where it has uh, a traditional uh, um, a lot of dominance a a lot of interests and then the two Systems two governments don't share similar uh, political systems similar ideologies as a result uh, as the power gap between the two shrinks, uh, it's inevitable that mm-hmm. the United States will be increasingly concerned about uh, the directions and trajectories of China, particularly when uh, it has become clear that the United States ha- you know, has lost ability to shape the domestic development of China. Uh, in the past, the during the Clinton administration, all the way mm. dating back to the Clinton administration. Uh, but then when, Professor, why as, does
1: the United States have to shape the do- domestic development of China? I mean,
2: well unfo- mm. unfortunately, uh, the u s. foreign policy always exhibits this uh, this uh, coexistence mm. of idealist and realist uh, sort of uh, considerations, right? Mm. Uh, the idealist uh, uh, you know uh, influence of U.S. foreign policy. Uh, prompts it to shape the world in its own image, and um, and in that respect, there is this uh, uh, there is this uh, always this uh, this desire and wishful thinking that mm-hmm. uh, it, with economic development, China will become similar to what the U.S. Uh, has in terms of political system. And 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 it makes sense to, from for many in the United States because uh, as the power gap shrinks, one mm. could argue that if the two systems look a lot similar, uh, or China and the United States, um, you know, are, are converging, and then the United States would not be terribly terribly concerned about the intentions of, of China. But, but then, of course, that's mm. not the case, right?
1: Then again, Professor. Uh, Is the worries, um, you know, are the worries from the United States over China more to do with, you know, these two countries have different political systems or because China is getting bigger and stronger?
2: Uh, I think they fit into each other. Um, In fact, you know, if you go back to Nixon's visit to China and the two systems couldn't be more different. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But but how come this had they could work together, and China was thought of as the tacit ally for the United States, and and of course, you know, uh, they had a common enemy, and so that that was sufficient enough to uh, to actually. Um, for these two countries to manage all these political differences i would argue the differences differences probably what you know were a lot you know bigger than right mm-hmm. but the problem was that the united states you know china in terms of you know capabilities you know uh, it was a lot smaller power than what it is today you mm-hmm. know right and because of the economic uh because of the rapid growth in the united states and the economic slowdown in china china now accounts for about, you know, less than 70 percent of U.S. GDP measured in in nominal terms. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But still, the gap, the the capability has, you know, gap has shrunk a lot that these two together fit into each other. Uh, You know, as a result, we have both ideological concerns we have realistic concerns about a rising power. And unfortunately, they uh, they create a to- very very toxic. They are part of very toxic sort of recipe mm. for for mistrust and for for competitive impulses in the bilateral relationship that are very very difficult to uh, reverse. You know, as a result, uh, going back to what you said about the cooperation, mm. instead of the, the the rhetoric about cooperation, I think the reality is that the competitive impulses are so strong that they crowd out all the desires for cooperation.
1: Mm. Well, uh, about these competition, uh, Biden administration officials have kept saying that America does not want to contain China. They want healthy competition. But at the same time, U.S. has continuously rolled out policies restricting dealings or exchanges with China, for example, in trade, chips, and most recently in electric vehicles. Um, Now, Dr. Kirikov, I mean, is this healthy competition according to U.S. definition? Uh, I mean, how should we understand, uh, you know, the contradiction in America's words and deeds?
3: Well, two things. One, uh, as I mentioned before, the mm. Cold War mindset in Washington. And that includes uh, not only the military industrial complex uh, and Cold War hawks. It also includes the humanitarian uh, ideological interventionists uh mm. Tibet and Xinjiang and all that. So the psychology in Washington is not a psychology of cooperation, it's a, uh, it's a psychology of uh, not fair competition, uh, it's more a psychology of uh, imperialism. Mm. And I think that's the main driving factor, is the United States as a hegemon, or uh, as the, the Russians put it, the neocolonialism, this problem of imperialism uh, is the central problem in Washington and New York. Uh, financial centers. And until the United States uh, drops uh, this uh, concept of imperialism pretending to be the British Empire of the 19th century resurrected uh, in the American Empire the 20th and 21st, um, we in the United States have to get back to uh, a normal American foreign policy that uh, respects differences and that's based on a uh, win-win, zero-sum diplomacy, Mm. uh, mutual respect and and all of those um, good things. So unless and until Mm. the psychology or the ideology in Washington shifts,
0: Mm.
3: uh, I'm uh, very concerned that uh, we won't be able to develop constructive relations for a while, I would say. We have had relations since 1783, 84. Mm. We've had relations for 250 years, We only had difficulties, basically, from 1950 until 1972 uh, with the opening. It was Mm. only 20-some years that we had difficulties. Everything seemed to be going in a steadily, steadily progressing manner Mm. up until the uh, Trump administration. And then uh, here, as I said before, we're (laughs) we're on the rocks. Mm. So although that's only been four years of Trump, and three years of Biden, what we don't know is what's going to happen in American politics uh, for
0: 2024.
3: Is mm. Biden going to be around? Uh, is, uh, is the governor of California going to be the new president? Uh, Trump? So there's a, a tremendous uh, uh, volatility uh, possible here within the United States politically, and that can be reflected uh, in our foreign policy. And unfortunately, it could be uh, reflected in our foreign policy by a more, um, a more aggressive uh, policies toward Russia and China.
0: Mm.
3: So we'll have to see if a new administration uh, can uh, bring about a, a new approach uh, to, to China.
2: As one of CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why.
1: Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition of the show, we discuss U.S.-China relations after Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi's Washington trip. Well, prior to his trip to D.C., uh, Wang Yi met with Californian Governor Gavin Newsom, who made a climate-themed one-week trip uh, in China. While in China, uh, Newsom publicly said that, quote-unquote, the more successful China is, the more successful we all will be. Uh, Now, um, Professor Gao, you travel between U.S. and China a lot. Um, in your observation, how influential are politicians' China approach um, in shaping perception about China among the American people, both, you know, at uh, influential states like California or at the national level?
4: First of all, Governor Newsom of California has really brought a high level of pragmatism and realism to California's relations with China on the one hand, Mm. and also China-U.S. relations as a whole. I think he really demonstrated that he is a capable uh, younger uh, leader of California, but also a very important democratic leader. I believe he has great expectations going forward either for 2024 or Mm. 2028, or for quite many more years to come. Now, this level of pragmatism and realism and eagerness to understand what China is, is really missing in Washington and in many other parts of the United States. Mm. People in the United States now form their opinions or conclusions about China without knowing what China it is, without knowing the realities of the megatrends in China. That's very dangerous. That's not good for these people of the interests they represent. Therefore, I think President Xi Jinping of China is saying the right thing. He said he places more hope on people-to-people exchanges between China and the United States, including, for example, important visits by the governor of California. I hope For all the 50 governors in the United States, the more they can come to China, the better. Mm. We need to create all the conditions to make it easier for them to come to China. I also have a hope Mm. for the more than 500 members of the U.S. Senate and U.S. House of Representatives. Indeed, We need to make sure that they all come to visit China. They will see China with their own eyes. They will talk to the Chinese people in all walks of life. They travel to major cities, to the countryside, to the more developed parts of China, as well as to the less developed part of China, mm. so that they will have more realistic views about what China is. And I don't think it is impossible for China and the United States to make such an arrangement that more than, 50, more than 500 members of the U.S. Congress and House of Representatives will visit China in groups, for example, and then reciprocally, more the members of the uh, China's uh, National People's, People's Congress, Congress should also yeah. visit the United States mm. to boost the understanding of each other.
1: Well, that is certainly the hope. Um, but uh, Professor Kong, how do you respond to what Professor Gao had said? And uh, also, um, another thing, what about, you know, the influence of American mainstream media? Uh, among average Americans uh, in terms of shaping their perception about China?
2: Well, uh, first of all, I'm not sure I share this view that more uh, visits and more um, uh, communications uh, will improve understanding of each other, will change the dynamics uh, in U.S.-China relations. Um, after all, uh, ever since Nixon's visit, ever since uh, U.S. and China established the diplomatic ties back in 1979, uh, the people-to-people ties improved, expanded, deepened over time. Uh, more and more Americans and Chinese uh, traveled to each other's countries and lived in each other's countries and worked and studied there. And I'm not sure... The, the fundamental disunderstanding, fundamental distrust and misunderstanding, misperceptions have gone away. Uh, we always uh, see what we want to see, believe what we want to believe. And you could argue that uh, if you Uh, You have a fundamental uh, disagreement with the direction of China and China's intentions, and you go to China and actually, you know, you will come back and harden your view toward China. You will say, ah, China is actually a lot stronger than what we think, right? China Mm -hmm. is actually a lot more different than what we think. And the same applies to those that come to the United States, right? And you know, after you've understood the United States, you've lived and and worked in the United States, and you go back and say, ah, actually, the U.S. you know is not is not what it says is. As a result, you dislike it, you know the other even more. So I'm not sure that just just this you know more visits alone will will, will, will you know will lead to uh, better understanding. Uh, the media in the United States uh, certainly shape uh, just like the media in China shapes, uh, shape the, the perceptions, although here, you know, you have a marketplace of ideas. Nevertheless, uh, the media, also, you know, different media outlets have different political um Uh, orientations and Mm. and uh, it's it's very divided world here in the united states when you think about media and depending on what you read you have a different interpretation of uh, of domestic politics and international politics so i Mm. think uh, and overall china's image has not recovered uh since the 1980s in 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 mainstream media as a result when you read mainstream media uh, as coverage about china oftentimes you see a lot of uh, uh, negative coverage or, 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 you know, analysis of, 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 of problems for the United States, right? So you don't hear a lot about areas where the two countries could cooperate. Mm. Areas the two countries could learn from each other in addressing global challenges, global problems. So I think that's a problem. Certainly, there is this criticism in the United States here that the 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 you know if you read the official media and listen to the official media, you do not get the same uh, sort of nuanced nuanced understanding of American politics of U.S. foreign policy uh, here as well. So I think there you know again. Uh, the, the, the 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 issues just get reflected in how each society interprets each other, each other, particularly as the rival as the two uh, countries engage in this intense rivalry. But the problem is that once people buy into the notion of rivalry, and they they really you know uh, sort of limit the the sort of the room for for, for the, the, the politicians to maneuver in improving relations in, in you know in uh, in bilateral bilateral relations between china and the united states so I think leaders in that sense have the responsibility to shape the narrative of US China relations, right? I mean they need to be careful but again you know the reality is that it's it's uh, it's very very difficult to sort of to have consistent coherent narrative in, 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 in the United States.
1: Professor Gao, how would you respond to, you know, what Professor uh, Kong has just said about, you know, these, um, these um, differences and perceptions and also how leaders should shape that?
4: I choose to focus on what matters most.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And what matters most, as far as China and the United States are concerned, is they cannot afford to fight a war against each other. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, The United States probably would have uh, fought a war against China and tried to conquer China to start with. But they cannot win because of the inevitability of peace and because of the mutual uh, destruction capabilities possessed by both sides. Therefore, against that macro background, yes, indeed, there are problems between China and the United States, some almost insurmountable. But they cannot resolve these differences by war or confrontation they sooner or later need to learn how to solve these problems in peaceful means Mm. that gives me hope because so long as we cannot afford to fight a war against each other we need to live and live we need to get along with each other we need to learn how to solve the differences between china and the united states which are plenty Mm. which are very, very difficult, which are really agonizing and sometimes traumatic. But we need to solve them. We cannot push them down. We not, cannot kick them you know, around the corner uh, forever, for example. Mm. And yes, there are red-hot button issues between China and the United States, but give hope to the wisdom of the Chinese people and the American people. Mm. Why? Because the Chinese people, and the American people are not destined to be enemies against each other mm. because the cost Professor
1: Gao, of um, having, we are, having we
4: ha- such animosity will be too huge for both China and the United States.
1: Mm, right, Professor Gao. Uh, I want to make sure um, we we I ask this question because because we only have uh, around two minutes to sh- to wrap up our discussion. Um, the world is uh, having its eyes on, you know, the, a possible meeting between the two heads of state in, in San Francisco. Uh, Wang Yi said uh, that the path to San Francisco is not smooth and cannot be left to autopilot. Now, Professor Gao, how do you understand that? And uh, what expectations do you think we should hold about a possible meeting?
4: Well, first of all, I think uh, the summit meeting between President Biden and President Xi Jinping in San Francisco is a high probability event. I would be surprised if it does not happen. Secondly, in preparing for that major event, China does not want to be caught by surprise. China wants to have all the assurances from the United States that they need to follow what they call the cart rails. Mm -hmm. They need to come up with a, a roadmap. They should not... Uh, befriend China on one day and try to antagonize China on the other day, try to be our friend on one day and try to be our enemy on the other day. No, China does not want to have such caprice in Washington. China wants to have a steady hand in Washington which handles China-U.S. relations. Mm -hmm. I believe by the time when President Xi Jinping and President Biden meet in San Francisco, China-U.S. relations can be better managed And they will uh, really stipulate the next uh, roadmap for China-U.S. relations at least up to the presidential election in the United States next year. That gives me hope. Don't give up on China-U.S. relations. Don't always indulge in all the desperation. Mm. Let us have the best optimism for China-U.S. relations.
1: Well, as I said earlier, everyone uh, that uh, watches TV or, you know, reads newspapers are following after story and we'll see what happens, uh, you know, moving forward with uh, U.S.-China relations. But uh, that's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. Again, I want to thank our guests. They are Victor Gao, Chair Professor at Suzhou University, Bo Kong, Associate Professor and Co-Director. OU Institute for U.S.-China Issues, University of Oklahoma. Also, we had Clifford Kirikoff, Washington-based author and former senior professional staff member of the U.S. Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. If you want to catch up with more of our discussions, you can find our podcast by searching World Today. You can also follow us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.